stargazers, welcome to 7th House Astrology, where I take any topic that is astrological or a topic related to relationships and romance. I investigate under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Love or Relationship Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek, and I'm so glad that you guys have joined me for today. So today is an exciting episode in the regard that actually we are going to be sinistry astrologizing what's becoming one of my favorite books of all time right now. And that is A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Moss. Actually, I loved A Court of Thorns and Roses so much that I've just begun A Court of Mist and Fury, also by Sarah J. Moss. And I'm, I'm actually hoping that I will like A Court of Mist and Fury enough to keep going on with uh, the series as well, too. But today we'll be sinistry astrologizing Feyre, Tamlin, uh, Rosand, as well as Amarantha. Um, I'll, you know, kind of like with uh, many sinistry astrologizing episodes, I'll take a look at each person and see what they offer into the relationship. And then part two will be when I actually put their charts with what I know of their charts together. So that's kind of where I'm standing right now is basically this in this episode. I, okay, I've scoured the web. I've scoured everywhere when it comes to the birth charts and uh, not even, I mean, there were no birth charts for anyone um, in a court of thorns and roses which tells me that Perinthian time is very, you know, kind of like, you know, taking the time of Middle Earth and J.R.R. Tolkien's books, you know, the Lord of the Rings series. You know, it's just a very different timeline um, than what we mere mortals deal with. Although Feyre is actually a mortal in A Court of Thorns and Roses. She's the only one who is. And yet, like, as I've said, there's no birth data, no birth chart for her. And you you can forget Rasand, Tamlin, all the others, because apparently Fae time is way different for, from mortal time. So what I actually did was um, I had looked on the fandom wikis and I looked on different sites online. Uh, there are a couple sites as to which zodiac sign is each character, and they have like a, a long list um, of each one. You know, like they think uh, Nesta's in Virgo, or they think uh, Alice is actually in Aries. Um, it's just kind of interesting, um, especially if you've read A Court of Thorns and Roses. It's just kind of interesting to peruse. But I'll be referring to those guys when it comes to the sun positions. But due to the um, descriptions in the novel, I also was figuring out the moon position, the Venus position, and Mars positions. Um, so the sun, moon, Venus, and Mars are the four planets that we usually take a look at within Sinistry Charts, the first foremost planets that we take a look at. And then anything that kind of connects or any other planets that kind of connect with those guys are also very informative when it comes to assessing the relationship. But the biggest reason why I want, I chose a court of thorns and roses is that, so I think this is part of what really draws me to the series, the relationships, you know, as much as I was in the middle of a court of thorns and roses, I was digging Tamlin and Feyre's relationship 
there's still that question of, eh, is it really healthy? Especially with just the the way that the novel is you know, occurring and the the relationships that that are, it's like, are these relationships really healthy? It's like the the relationship with Tamlin really healthy, and then as Rasand was introduced, and of course with Amarantha and her ties to Tamlin, as they were introduced, it kind of made me wonder even more. And even though I was, I'm really digging Rasand, especially with the second book. There's still that, uh, is there, is this relationship healthy or are there healthy qualities or are there unhealthy qualities? Are there like, is there a mixture of both? Is it just an extremely abusive relationship? Is it kind of borderline or is it, you know, or maybe I'm just overseeing things a little bit. So that's what I would love to assess when it comes to the astrology of it. Um, hopefully I might be able to get to that answer today as I look at each individual character uh, with each chart. Now, I think this kind of goes without saying. For those of you who have not read A Court of Thorns and Roses and say that it is on your reading list, or for those of you like say you have started but um, you don't want any spoilers at all. And I don't blame you. It's a really compelling novel. I'm going to say this podcast or this episode is going to be rife with spoiler alerts. So if you do not want the spoilers, you are more than welcome to stop this podcast right here and listen to it when you're done with the novel. And that way, um, you know, again, I'm not ruining anything for you, although I kind of I think I already ruined some I think I might have, you know, mentioned some things, but, you know, I'm not ruining anything for you. I'm not enjoying the, your appreciation, your experience of the novel as well, since, you know, Sarah J. Moss has a very compelling voice and a really compelling way to um, write a novel. You know, she's a really compelling writer all the way around um, for this time. So like I said, I, I will not take offense if you turn off this podcast and maybe listen to it a little bit later. And for those of you who have read the novels, well, I, I'm, I'm like keeping my fingers crossed. I hope this is about as enjoyable for you as it was for me for this week um, in like kind of doing the little bits that I could um, with the, the charts here. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right in. So the first individual that I would like to start off with is the heroine herself and also the narrator um, of herself, and that is Freyra. So um, on the wiki sites and on the internet, many people have mentioned that she was born on the winter solstice, and actually that is confirmed. Actually, that's not confirmed in A Court of Thorns and Roses. It is confirmed in the second book. Um, at the beginning when um, she's with Tamlin and basically as they're celebrating their right, you know, to get married, um, there's one festivity that happens on her birthday on the winter solstice. Now, a lot of people have jumped to the conclusion that, oh, winter solstice, that means she, she's a Sagittarian. And I kind of feel that a lot of the individuals of the fan sites have kind of let the novel you know, like the, the description of Feyre to kind of form fit, you know, the, 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 the zodiacal sign or the sun sign. Um, so I'm going to just clarify this up just a little bit. 
Uh, first off, for those who think that she is a Sagittarian, well, you are very close. You're extremely close. But she's actually, her son technically is in Capricorn, but on, and she's actually, however, on the cusp of Sagittarius. Um, actually, on the winter solstice, technically, her sun position would be zero degrees Capricorn. So she'd be like really right at the beginning of Capricorn because, you know, winter solstice starts that sign. But because she is starting that sign, again, she again she's on that cusp of Sagittarius. So she kind of has both qualities of both signs in her. But like I said, technically she's a Capricorn. Um, so with that said, too, that does make sense when we kind of read A Court of Thorns and Roses because with Thera, she kind of encompasses both signs. And I think a lot of the individuals who say, oh, yeah, she's a Sagittarian through and through – they're kind of seeing the huntress of Feyre, um, and hunting is definitely an adventurer's sort of sport. Um, however, you know, and it's it's definitely a very Sagittarian thing to just, like, go out in the middle of the woods um, spontaneously and, you know, to kill a large giant wolf, um, as with the beginning of the novel. Also, just it, it kind of makes sense, you know, like I said, the, the Sagittarian side can somewhat, and I'm going to say somewhat makes sense when it comes to Feyre's kind of go-for-it attitude. You know, um, instead of allowing somebody to give her permission, actually what drives her nuts uh, throughout Court of Thorns and Roses is that Tamlin restricts her. And a lot of the time when she feels restricted, that frustrates her more. And that's where she's more prone to rebelling and going out into you know, his garden or going out into the woods near his manor and investigating a little further, especially when it comes to the Naga and the bog and all those ill fae that were coming in through the wall um, or just through, you know, within the courts and then um, also then haunting and taunting um, the mortal realm. You know, it, it just, it kind of makes sense that that rebelliousness, you know, Sagittarians can be rebellious. Um, I think there's another aspect that I will cover in just a moment that kind of explains Feyre's kind of almost foolhardiness, but her willingness to go into an adventure uh, makes sense for Sagittarius. Um, the Capricorn side, though, what also makes sense is that when her mom died, you know, even though um, Corthorns and Roses is supposed to follow the Beauty and the Beast trope, when her mother dies, she does promise her mom to take care of her father and to take care of, of her sisters. Whether or not she feels that her sisters deserve being taken care of, because one sister's kind of feather-headed, the other sister's kind of snotty, she still um, takes that oath with her mom very seriously. And throughout the beginning of the novel, and actually I would even say, um, you know, throughout the novel too, she's big about putting her need, her own needs behind her and putting her family's needs first. I feel that that's very Capricorn. A lot of Capricorns tend to do that for their family. Um, they tend to, um, they're the type of individuals, they know what they'd like to do at a very young age. They run through their karma at a very young age. But one thing that kind of stays um, intact with Capricorns is that 
they do put their family's needs and those with whom they care for first. And, you know, with their own needs, because they burn through their karma, they burn through their needs at a very early age, they kind of feel as though they don't have needs. It kind of feels though their needs are already taken care of. They'll be, it's like it'll either be taken care of down the line or they're just already taken care of and they can just focus on the family and focus on the um, kind of like the paternal duty, you know, so um, paternity is actually indicated by the 10th house and it's also indicated by Capricorn. Also Capricorn can um, indicate uh, uh, patriarchy. Um, so that's why like in 2020, uh, there were a lot of astrologers saying, oh, you know, Saturn conjunct Pluto in Capricorn, patriarchy is going to be overthrown and questioned because of that Pluto element. And also the sat, you know, like while patriarchy, old fashioned patriarchy want to be upheld by Saturn, Pluto was kind of giving that dynamite thrown into the mix of patriarchy to kind of, you know, mash it up a little bit. Um, but you know, with Feyre, she kind of, you know, it's interesting that paternity is actually ruled by Capricorn because with Feyre, when it comes to her family, she's actually more of a father to Alon and to Nesta, Nesta than her own father happens to be. She's, you know, I mean, while she's still a, you know, lady of the house, um, you know, again, she, I, I feel like she kind of encompasses, a lot of the things that her father really can't and really just tries to be as much of the father figure of the household as much as possible. I think that even goes so far as to um, becoming really a, a strong figure who protects, not only protects her family, but also who answers for her family if there are questions. This really comes to mind like when Tamlin bursts down the door and starts screaming murderer. Um, you know, Feyre was the one who basically was ready to attack Tamlin. She was ready uh, to answer Tamlin. Actually, she was answering Tamlin for her family, which is normally, like I said, relegated to the father figure in the family. But here she was, she was already assuming that role. And this was a role um, kind of described in the Court of Thorns and Roses that was kind of put on her at a very young age. And, um, it's just like, you know, throughout the, the beginning of the novel, especially she just kind of has assumed that. And I also just feel that that's also very Capricorn because Capricorns are expected to, to assume a lot of authority at a very young age, whether they're ready to or not. Um, they're usually expected to assume, um, authority at a very young age and really defend their family and really, um, they kind of grow up really quickly is what I, what I also have to say. And we see that with Feyre too. Um, she's at a mere age of 19 and already, even as Tamlin's bringing her to his spring court, even though he's kind of mentioning things like do whatever you'd like, you know, run around, roam free. You don't have to worry about your family anymore. You kind of see that she's not a typical 19 year old. She's actually grown a lot older and wiser um, but just kind of ha has grown older um, than her mere 19 years of age. Actually, in fact, um, you know, the attestation in the novel um, where it kind of indicates that she 
really kind of grew up really va- very fast was where um, I think Tamlin had shared a couple of limericks with Feyre, um, and she's starting to warm up to him, starting to warm up to his manner, starting to warm up to everybody who's around him, like his emissaries, and also to everybody in his court. Um, you know, she starts to laugh at one of his limericks, and she mentions that it's been a long time. It was kind of like a breath of fresh air to laugh and to feel joy um, in Tamlin's court because it had been a long time since she'd last felt uh, joy in her life. And sometimes I feel like Capricorns might also feel that way too. It's like they kind of take things rather seriously uh, within the first years of their lives, um, like probably up to about their 20s. They kind of take things rather very seriously. They're trying to make sure that everything is met. But about like mid-20s to 30s, when they're able to just kind of lighten up, they're able to just kind of relax a little bit. It feels kind of foreign. It feels kind of new. Um, however, it feels really good as well, too. You know, it feels good, but it's foreign and new. Um, almost as though, again, it's been a long time since they've had a laugh, very much like with Feyre as well. Okay, so when it comes down to Feyre's moon, now this one was a little bit... It was, I, I thought through it really carefully. Um, the same with the, the other characters, just really thought through it very carefully, considered the descriptions of Feyre and um, especially her narrative um, and, you know, where, where it kind of tends to lead to, where it lends to. Emotionally wise, I kind of see that Feyre is actually, her moon is actually in Aries in my view. And the reason why I mentioned that is, Despite being a very grounded Capricorn, really um, knowing that she likes to paint, knowing that she would like to become a painter, and also knowing that she's a hunter and she perfects that art or, protects, or actually perfects the two arts, um, really what kind of indicates to me as a Capricorn and also as a Sagittarian, may I add, Pharaoh is just a slightly bit foolhardy in my view especially when it comes to matters of love. Now, to be fair, I mean, she is 19. And I know when I was 19, I was also very foolhardy. You know, I was I was very quick to go from zero to a thousand with just about everything. But um, with Thera, especially when it comes to Tamlin, she starts... Um, really distrusting him. And, you know, rightfully so. He's, he's actually very strange. He's a fae, whereas she's immortal. There, um, as a mortal, she's been exposed to fae legends where they torture, you know, mortals. You don't drink their wine, don't eat their food unless you want to become a mindless idiot. Um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of nightmare stories that kind of back her up um, with her suspicion with Tamlin. But also when it comes down to Tamlin, though, she's like kind of suspicious of him because obviously he's kidnapped her from her family and really just telling her, just, just trust in me. Your family's just fine. You'll be fine here. And it's a little later on that she finds out that actually he glamored um, her family to make sure that they didn't remember the situation of when he barged in, um, in the family home. And also he glamored her family into thinking that she was off, you know, with Feyre, she's off with a, with a, with a sick aunt. 
And with Thera, I mean, when she finds that out, something, you know, matters kind of turn. But, you know, when it comes to Thera, she goes from completely distrusting Tamlin to going to a thousand, like loving him beyond love, to where she goes under the mountain into Amarantha's court and risks her life to save him. The other foolhardiness about her is that, um, you know, again, when she's going off on certain particular adventures, especially within Tamlin's court. Um, so Tamlin's emissary, you know, had mentioned that, you know, hey, you can fight the bog, you can fight the naga, no problem, or you can fight the cereal, no problem. And, you know, when she goes into the woods and finds out that she's kind of in over, way in over her head, it's, it, to me, I kind of saw this as being a little foolhardy, both for Sagittarius as well as Capricorn in the regard that, Many Sagittarians and Capricorns usually weigh out, like if somebody tells them something, they'll take into consideration, but they'll still weigh out the pros and the cons to make sure that they're still safe and that they'll still be a-okay at the end. And with Feyre, it's like she doesn't even weigh the pros and the cons. Um, even with something like going under the mountain and having to endure really, really, really torturous trials in order to save Tamlin, this is like closer to the end of A Court of Thorns and Roses, I kind of feel, you know, Feyre uses love to really disguise how, you know, foolhardy she's actually being, like almost stupidly so, um, in just kind of going under the mountain, risking herself, you know, I, I, like I said, with Sagittarians and Capricorns, even though Sagittarians can be very zesty and very vibrant, they still weigh the pros and the cons. Um, they still try to have a strategy. You know, it's like, hey, I'm going to be in this person's court. They're going to try to torture me like no other. Let me come in with a strategy to make sure that I'm saving this person, but also not falling for certain pitfalls. And many um, Capricorns and Sagittarians also would have listened to Alice in saying, hey, don't make bargains, don't drink the wine, um, you know, kind of steer clear. And with Feyre, I mean, she just, like I said, again, she just kind of throws all caution to the wind. I say it's Aries because with Aries, um, this is a shadow side of Aries. So to all you Aries out there, I'm not, like I said, I promise I'm not picking on you. I promise. But with Aries types, you know, where they, you know, where they're very admirable when they have like a sudden inspiration, they're, they're able to put that sudden inspiration and actualize it. And that can be a very admirable trait. We can see that with Feyre where she takes the dreams of all, you know, and also the, the looking at different colors and the dreams of painting and actually just doing it. In fact, actually, I wouldn't be surprised that the person who came up with Nike's slogan actually was an Aries because just do it is a very Aries mentale in my view. But with Feyre where I kind of feel... You know, where Aries can kind of um, go over to a shadow side, not only are they impatient, so they want to do things now in the spur of the moment, but sometimes they do things in the spur of the moment without really thinking about pros, cons, consequences. And that to me is Feyre in a nutshell. It's like she's not really weighing pros and cons. She just throws herself into situations. What I don't like about that is when it comes to a court of thorns and roses, the way that impacts her relationships is that while she's just throwing herself um, and kind of just, you know, 
really rapidly coming to decisions. Um, one thing that she doesn't really seem to realize is that she kind of throws herself towards people and towards Faye, different particular Faye in this case, where they're not very safe. They might not have a very savory character. And what comes to mind for me with this is when Pharaoh went, you know, just completely disbanded the warnings of Tamlin, disbanded the warnings of, you know, his emissary. It's like, look, stay in your room, keep it locked, don't come out. Well, she comes out anyway, goes to fire night, and then comes and runs right into Rasand. And with Rasand, we're kind of, you know, even though I kind of am gravitating towards him as a character, as we'll see with his chart, there's kind of a shaky quakiness with him. We don't know where exactly he stands. We don't know where his intentions lie, especially in a court of thorns and roses. We just don't know where he lies because he's kind of equally villainous, but also equally noble at the same time. But I kind of feel like with Pharaoh, with this, you know, just go do it. Just go experience things. Just go check these things out, you know, just rapidly. She kind of throws herself into not only harm's danger, as we see with Amarantha's court, as we see with the Surreal and um, the Naga, but also as we see, you know, like with Rasand, you know, she's introduced to a character who might not have her best intentions, or maybe he does. Um, it's still yet to be determined in the second novel, Court of Mist and Fury. But, uh, you know, with Brissand, we're kind of, you know, it, she's kind of, you know, led to very questionable decisions. I even say with Tamlin, too, she kind of makes some very questionable decisions that I feel could have a little more thought to it. You know, like when she just kind of gives herself over to Tamlin, gives herself over to, yes, I love this man, you know, going from being suspicious of him to, yes, I love this man. Um, I kind of feel that there could have been a little more time to where she could just kind of get to know him a bit better. Um, I just feel like their relation with Tamlin and Feyre's relationship is just very spontaneous and just like right in the moment. And I know that's also um, kind of a, a trope with, um, you know, Harlequin romances, which A Court of Thorns and Roses kind of is, but it's like set in a very fantasy realm. But still, um, I'm always, uh, you know, with the heroines, I'm just, you know, and Pharaoh's no different. It's always like, pull it back just a little bit. So I think that's what I would recommend for her is just kind of pull it back a little, um, you know, and don't just do things just to do things, kind of think some things through um, before you proceed. And maybe also with Feyre too, you know, sometimes the things that happen to you, you know, instead of just coming to an instantaneous conclusion, that's also what kind of made me think that her moon was in Aries as well too. She comes to instantaneous conclusions about all the characters. Um, even in the second novel, she comes to an instantaneous conclusion about Rasand. She comes to instantaneous conclusions about Tamlin. That's where I would just say, you know, take a look and assess the situation and see how the situation is benefiting you. See how the relationship of this particular situation is benefiting you. And what are the lessons that you come out with? That's another thing that I advise Pharaoh to do. 
You know, while it's not very savory, and I agree, not very savory to be kidnapped by Tamlin at the beginning of A Court of Thorns and Roses, you know, and taken away from your family, perhaps there's something to be learned here. You know, maybe just going off into the woods and killing any random large creature is not the best of ideas. But on top of that, you know, maybe there's other lessons and other virtues within the relationship with your kidnapper um, or just maybe I don't want to say with the kidnapper but you know maybe there's some lessons and virtues that could be learned with the person that you're with at the time in which you see them and I also have to say again little spoiler alert for Court of Mist and Fury but I feel like the same could be said for Rasand when uh, he likes to take her to the night court um, but like I said, again, little spoiler there. Not too much, but just a little spoiler there. In uh, you know, regards to Venus, okay, so I really debated this one. Um, I kept musing between could she be, you know, Venus and Taurus, or could she be Venus and Aries? My conclusion is Venus and Aries, mainly because again, with Feyre, her affection for people runs either really super hot or really super cold. There's like no middle ground, no middle point. And I mean, again, this could be because she's very young in the novel. I know when I was 19 years old, I was making very sudden decisions very rapidly myself. Of course, it also doesn't help that I have my son's position in my first house, which is an Aries position. Um, so I, I can kind of identify with being rapid with this, but um what I, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that also when it comes to love with Feyre, I'm thinking Venus in Aries. She's very rapid. Um, and I also thought, too, possibly with a Neptune conjunct, what kind of made me think about that was at the beginning, she really escaped towards sex. Um, maybe Neptune could be either with um, conjunct Venus or with Mars in this case. It seems like she uses sex to escape from really bad situations. And that also kind of gave me a little bit of a bleary eye of concern because when you, you know, when there are individuals who do escape from with sex, you know, it's like overt escape is like with Thera, um, you know, her circumstances at the beginning of the novel where she was in poverty the only escape and release was to have sex with a neighboring man. And um, I just feel like once again, that's very impulsive, but also can be rather dangerous because sometimes like that guy could turn around and break her heart or he could um, do something unsavory. You know, even if she feels she knows this person, he could do something very unsavory. And because she's already kind of open to it, it kind of, again, it's putting um, herself in a very foolhardy sort of position in, in my in my eyes, at least. Um, I could be wrong about this, but I just I just feel like Aries is really the, the natural choice for a Venus position. I also just feel even with Tamlin, even though she took a little while, like half a novel to kind of warm up to him again, it's, you know, she instantaneously hates you or she instantaneously loves you and there's really no in-between and I really feel that there could be an in-between in kind of 
you know, getting to know the individual a little bit better before coming to loving them. And I also feel like the love with Tamlin especially is premature um, in the novel. You know, by the end, she's just like completely madly in love with Tamlin. I, I just, I feel like that's an immature period and an immature time frame. And I feel like it's rather, again, impulsive, you know, kind of like with her moon's position, just really super impulsive. That's my eye towards it. Um, Stargazers, if you are astrologers, you have read A Court of Thorns and Roses. If you disagree, please let me know in the comments. If you guys feel like you do agree, also let me know. Um, either way, let me know. Um, and I, um, I would definitely love to hear your viewpoints on this one. I also mused on Taurus because, you know, while Feyre can be very sensual, and she can be very, um, you know, um, into the aesthetics of love as well, too. Uh, you know, I, I just felt like she could be very sensual into the aesthetic of love. And what also kind of made me think maybe Taurus was that um, she also loves the lush, um, you know, within love. She likes the lush fabrics. Mm -hmm. She loves the sensuality um, of Tamlin. She loves the sensuality of the chase. Um, she really kind of gets very sensual herself, but I feel Aries individuals can become really quite sensual and very sexy as well too. Um, and also, like I said, yet their, their feelings can run hot and cold. That's the shadow side. However, with Aries, you know, Venus and Aries, the, um, individual is more inclined you know, if they really, really tend to love you over time, they really have a very wonderful zest and a wonderful passion um, that kind of goes within them. And that I kind of see within Feyre, uh, within a, a court of thorns and roses, you know, just kind of this underlying passion that's in her and bringing that fire, that passion into the relationship and sharing that with the ones that they love as well. All right. And the last but not least, I kind of felt that, um, you know, with Pharaoh's Mars position. Now, I thought about this long and long and long and hard. But I finally came down to, I think her Mars position is actually in Cancer. The reason why I say this as somebody who has, who is a native with uh, Mars and Cancer the things that kind of gave it away for me was that a lot of the descriptions for Mars and Cancer um, state that individuals who have this Mars placement, when it comes to sex, they're really far more inclined to letting the other person take the lead. Um, so much so that uh, um, that actually they kind of kind of go into fantasies where they're in bondage or where they're kind of subservient. They're kind of like a sex slave um, or they're subservient to their partners. And with Farah, what I just kind of see with her, especially when Tamlin engages in sexual acts with her, uh, Fire Knight being one example where he's apparently he's under the spell of the earth. And, you know, he comes into his manor, sees Farah, kind of seduces her a little bit. Um, the one thing that I see with Farah, instead of like putting up a fight, as what you'd kind of see, like maybe with other Mars positions, she just kind of 
you know, when, when Tamlin comes on to her, she's kind of like, oh, and just becomes very, um, very passive to him and allows him to take the, the lead in the situation. I also just see uh, when it comes to any sort of sexy scene or any sort of sexy passage in the book, she's just very um, ironically, you know, even though she's very adventurous, she's, she can be almost be foolhardy. She's full of spunk. She's full of spark and vigor. To me, when it comes to sex in A Court of Thorns and Roses, she's very passive. And um, the other indication, too, is that a lot of people who have Mars in Cancer also love soft fabrics. Um, They're kind of, you know, known to indulge in a lot of soft fabrics when engaging in sexual affairs. Uh, Feyre, the one thing that she starts to mention before she, you know, invites Tamlin into her room is that she has like this really thin... Uh, see-through gossamer type of gown that's really silky. And I can't help but notice that she it describes the silkiness of the fabric a lot. And I, I just kind of feel like that's kind of a big indicator of what's kind of turning her on, as well as the, the moment with Tamlin as well, too. So those are my viewpoints. But like I said, if, if you've read the, the novels and you guys are astro- or the astrologers out there who've read the novel – Please let me know um, if you agree or disagree. But I think overall with Feyre, she could really, like, in love, she could really kind of think, weigh things out more, um, get to know somebody, get to know their role in her life a little bit better, as opposed to just falling head over heels really fast. And um, I think, too, when it comes to Mars and Cancer, also really not being so passive, maybe having an active role, um, in the relationship as well. You know, while that can be all, you know, like, kind of, you know, an individual style sex, I really think that, um, you can still maintain that style sex, but still be a little more active as well too. I'd love to see her be a little more active, um, when it comes to that, um, particular area of her chart. All right, so moving on to Tamlin's chart. So a lot of the wiki sites and a lot of the sites kind of mention that Tamlin is definitely a Taurus. You know, um, just the way that he's described, definitely a Taurus. Some even argue that he could be a Scorpio. Um, they could see that with a Scorpio and maybe flip or sand and Tamlin around with sun signs. Well... I, I kind of came to debate with this one, but I do have to say I can see where he has a son in Taurus. Um, Taurians very much like their opposite sign, Scorpio, can be very possessive. I think a lot of people said, you know, yeah, I can see where he can be a Scorpio because he's extremely possessive of Feyre in a court of thorns and roses. Actually, Taurians can also be incredibly possessive themselves in the regard that um, people can be seen like their possessions where they like to keep a close eye on it. They like to kind of keep their hands around it. Um, that's according to Liz Green. They like to keep their hands on the person. They like to keep the eye on the, the, on the person. They like to make sure that that person is within reach. Also, the other explanation that I have with Taurus is that they really like to focus on intimacy 
when it comes to relationships, but little do they know that sometimes intimacy can also come across as being smothering at times. Now, again, this is a shadow side. Um, it seems like the character in A Court of Thorns and Roses display the shadow sides of the other sides. So, like I said, not dissing on you, Torians. I promise. I promise you. Um, I'm just seeing the shadow side um, playing out with Tamlin a little bit. The one way in which I see it is that when he brings Feyre to court, there's, I mean, what by the in the first time when she brings Feyre to his court, all the way to the end, you know, before he sends her back home, there's a lot of this, stay in your room, stay in the manor, stay, you know, stay inside. Don't, don't venture out or venture out to where I could see or venture out to where I can easily find you. And it's always... It's always um, this possessive um, take, and actually Pharaoh even mentions in A Court of Mist and Fury, I find this is a actually apropos for their relationship, but she kind of starts to mention Tamlin's manners being like a prison because he's, you know, it's like, stay close, stay in the manor, stay where you're safe. Um, it's always with him. It's always like, stay where you're safe, stay where I can, where I can see you. Which to me um, demonstrates that, you know, whether or not Feyre is safe. I mean, I don't think that's the point here. I think really the more of the point is that with Tamlin, he's overly possessive in the relationship. And I feel that this is a danger to him in the regard that, so, I mean, this is like for anyone who is possessive, but I especially see this with Torians. Um, where they just kind of become really smothering or they just try to like, you know, keep a, a tight, firm hold on the people that they love. You tend to strip somebody away when it comes to their individuality. And that person is more inclined to resenting you because you're kind of taking their free will away. And I see this being a, a problem with Tamlin often. This is where I see where the relationship is just a little bit unhealthy. And I think, you know, um, the way that he could make it, you know, kind of turn it around is if he trusts Feyre a little bit better. I mean, he's like so distrustful of Feyre. Even in Amaranthus court, he doesn't, you know, where there's bets being placed as to whether Feyre will make it alive with the Middengird worm. Um, Really, he doesn't even place a bet and give her the benefit of the doubt that, yes, she might come out alive and that, yes, she'd be successful. It's like he kind of um, doesn't even admit anything at all, which to me is admitting guilt. Um, so with Tamlin, I just feel like trusting Feyre a lot more, trusting her decisions, trusting her as her own individual, I think is the first step. And this is not just for Torians. I think also many of the fixed signs have this issue when it comes to trust and when it comes to possessiveness. Um, I see this equally with Scorpio. I see this with, um, believe it or not, Aquarians can be very um, possessive and they can be, um, you know, they, they can be very possessive of the ones they love. Leos especially. Um, I, I've seen like many Leos, actually my last boss, I saw him kind of heard me or kind of take possession over his department and over the people who worked for him as though they were possessions that should not go out of his reach as opposed to people 
who work in the department. So I feel like all the fixed signs are guilty of this. I think the biggest thing is you got to let people go. You got to let people be people. Even if you think you know better than they do, or you think you have the wisdom that they do, you just got to let them go. You got to let them do their thing. And I think that's the same case with Tamlin in this regard, um, with his son being in Taurus. You know, just uh, trust Feyre a little bit better and not just be so quick to, I'm going to possess you or I'm going to smother you, as he seems to be in the novel. The other reason why I mentioned or why I kind of saw the Torian aspects is that, you know, in turn, he is rather loving. And he is rather, you know, I mean, his manner is very much a Torian household where it's very sensuous, it's very lovely, it's full of luxury, which is usually also associated with Taurus, you know, luxury, um, having lovely things, having a cushy house or a cushy manner in this case. But also, um, you know, when it comes to love and relationships, he can be very loving and very self-sacrificing and very much there and very romantic. But again, he just has to get over that hurdle of possessiveness, um, that, that unhealthy side of, um, of him. When it comes to his moon, um, so when it comes to Cap or when it comes to Tamlin, I feel that his moon is in Capricorn. And the reasons why I kind of see this is, you know, he had, um, so when his father pitted his brothers against him in order to overthrow one other, see who will overthrow each other for the throne, Tamlin did not like that um, side of his father. And um, away from that, too, he didn't like it so much that he kind of, it sounded like he kind of rebelled but he rebelled in a very Capricorn way. So whereas many fire signs would be like, peace out, I'm, you know, kind of like with uh, Tamlin's emissary. And by the way, I do know the emissary's name. I just choose not to mention the name. I am a little superstitious. The name's kind of a little bit on the superstitious side for me. But, um, you know, with Tamlin's emissary, where um, he might have had more of like a moon position in a fire sign where he's just like, peace out. I'm not going to fight over my brothers. I'm not going to fight over my flesh and blood just to get to the throne. This is sick. Uh, Tamlin was more along the lines of rebelling in a more responsible way. It's like, okay, this court's really irresponsible. I don't like how my brothers are pitted against me to overthrow me or have me overthrow them for the throne. So what I would like to do is maintain order in the kingdom by actually serving on the barriers and really just protecting the barriers from whatever's occurring um, in the not only the mortal realm, but also maybe even protecting the mortal realm from all the dangers that are coming from, you know, Amarantha's slow and steady incline towards power. And to me, that was... Um, he had a lot of duties or he decided to take on a lot of duties at a very early age, which is very, again, that's a very Capricorn thing to do. Um, you know, Capricorns like to be responsible. And so, you know, here's, like I said, a responsible way to rebel against his dad. Uh, you know, for this very reason as well, I kind of feel like with Tamlin's um, son's position, I also thought that maybe... 
you know, uh, his son's position is possibly squared Pluto, um, mainly because he does not agree with his father, or he has not only a tense relationship with his father, but it's a very power-mongering sort of relationship, very much like with Elon Musk, where um, I think a bully had smashed um, Elon Musk's face into uh, concrete, and Elon Musk's dad was like so Pluto hungry that he condoned the bully as opposed to like consoling his son. Um, I kind of see the same dynamic with Tamlin and his father, uh, his descriptions with his father. His father, you know, he didn't really agree with him. He kind of saw that he was abusing power all the time um, in Perinthian and you know, he wanted to be more, better responsible, a better, more responsible party than what his father was becoming uh, within his childhood. The other indication is that with Tamlin, whenever Feyre wakes up, whenever she kind of comes down out of the manor, there are lots of times when uh, Tamlin is gone for the day because he's taking care of affairs in his kingdom. And that to me was like, you know, again, a Capricorn being very busy with the day-to-day manners in order to bring home the bacon for their family, that sometimes the family's needs can be a little neglected. And I'm kind of seeing that with Tamlin, where he's busy about his kingdom, that he kind of neglects, you know, Feyre. And I kind of feel that that's also a weakness of his, the neglecting of Feyre and her needs. And, you know, just kind of busying himself with his needs as though they're far more important than anyone else's. I kind of feel like um, actually spending more time with Feyre and really not only coming to respect her individuality, but just spending more time with her and being with her a lot more, I think, would be better and beneficial with Tamlin when it comes to, to loving affairs. Now with uh, Venus, I debated this one. I either thought Libra or Pisces. I thought about long and hard stargazers. Really, I did. But I I kind of uh, laid on Pisces, mainly because with Tamlin, when he does become romantic with Feyre, he can get really romantic. I mean, that's not just the sun in Taurus that's playing out. I kind of feel like it's Piscean romance, you know, especially when he's showing her the pool of starlight and, you know, all his favorite places that are really super beautiful and lush and wonderful around his manor. And also taking Feyre at summer solstice to go see, you know, some of the spirits around there dancing around to the, to the, the, um, oncoming daybreak. I mean, super, super romantic and super lovely. And, you know, uh, Libra, Librans can be also very super romantic in that vein as well. However, what kind of made me decide on Pisces was that Tamlin, I'm going to be honest with you, he's kind of gullible in A Court of Thorns and Roses. He's not only gullible to earth magic, he's also gullible to amaranthus charms. And to me, that's the shadow side of Pisces, where they're just kind of, they're very um, able to shift. They want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Unfortunately, when they do give people the benefit of the doubt, they kind of give the wrong person the benefit of the doubt, and they can be seen as almost being led astray 
And I kind of feel like that's the case with Tamlin and A Court of Thorns and Roses, just kind of being easily led astray and easily led away from his relationship with Feyre. I feel like Feyre is the more devoted and the more constant person in the relationship. Whereas Tamlin, it's kind of luck of the draw sometimes. And Pisces as well as Librans are known to kind of play around, but I kind of landed on Pisces because like I said, that the gullibility of him, um, you know, just, he seems very gullible and just very easy to, you know, kind of pursue someone else's whims in some way, shape or form. And last but not least with Mars, I do think kind of like with Feyre, um, Mars is in Aries to me. You know, um, in Amarantha's court, not a lot was um, kind of, you know, whenever he's engaged with sex with Feyre, it's always spontaneous. And especially in Amarantha's court, um, when he's pulling Feyre into another room, when there's a ball going on, and, you know, he's engaging in sexual acts where Sand catches them in the act. Again, it's like, it's insanely quick, and it's just insanely spontaneous. He's not weighing the consequences to his sexual actions. He's just kind of indulging in the, the heart of the moment, which is also kind of disappointing. I would think that Tamlin would be a little more calculating or just a little bit more reserved, but it's like he just kind of, when it comes to sex in general, whether it's Fire Night, whether it's Amarantha's Court, whether it's, you know, later on when he's developing kind of quite a bond with Feyre, it's just like, boom, he's just gone for it and no thought or anything to um, the act as well, too. And again, kind of like with Feyre, do, be, uh, kind of slowing it down a little bit more, maybe kind of finessing sex a little bit more um, when it comes to the relationships. And maybe again, uh, finessing it kind of maybe withholding a little bit so that's not always just so frivolous, careless, and spontaneous all the time. All right, moving into the chart of Rasand. Um, so Rasand, a lot of fan sites have said that his son is actually in Scorpio. I'm actually more inclined to agreeing. I can see the Scorpio influence. As a character, he is extremely, extremely mysterious. And... You know, um, I also see him as the character, especially as I move, as I've moved into A Court of Mist and Fury. I see him, you know, he's like a Snape-like character, Snape from Harry Potter, where he's a little more complex than what meets the eye. At first, he comes across as a big old bad boy. But then um, after a bit, it seems like he could actually help Feyre out. Um, you know, in a court of thorns and roses, he helps to heal her. Um, he kind of, you know, supposedly he helps her out by dressing her up as a concubine and trying to get the focus off of Tamlin. You know, I, like I said, I'm not so sure with that myself, but, um, you know, he's very sexy. Um, even when we first meet him. Just a very sexy, very um, charismatic, and a very alluring character who's very mysterious, by the way. All the traits of Scorpio. I'd say some of the negative traits, though, again, overly possessive. Um, again, with the tattoos with Freyra, 
you know, he agrees to heal Pharaoh only to give her a tattoo, which is a binding for, for her to come to his court, the night court, uh, which I thought is kind of, you know, tit for tat. Um, Scorpios are kind of tit for tat. They are kind of like contractual um, sometimes with their agreements. Also, I mean, he tends to blow the, like I said, he tends to blow the lid off, um, you know, kind of get down to the truth, which is admirable as well. But he's also um, very sexy as well, too. He kind of engages in um, dangerous, illicit, sexual taboos and sexual encounters. Um, this is why I kind of questioned at the core of Thorns and Roses that he was actually helping Tamlin and helping Feyre out. He drugs Feyre, makes her dance between his legs, and makes her sit on his lap. I just don't see, I kind of see where that's like borderline kind of just taking advantage of Feyre and not really, um, really respecting her in full is how I kind of feel um, about that. That particular part of A Court of Thorns and Roses, that particular part was a little disappointing to me because that's kind of what predators tend to do. Um, Scorpio in their shadow side can tend to do that as well as like kind of engage in a lot of nefarious sexual acts. Um, however, you know, and they can also be rather possessive as well. Um, however, I kind of feel the, the truth bearing nature of Rasand really, um, is kind of like one of the things that we admire about Scorpios where it's like kind of just being able to tell the truth in order to, try to heal somebody as well as to heal themselves from particular situations. The moon um, position, again, I thought about the song and heart, but I'm thinking moon and Aquarius because while he is actually very, you know, he kind of admires Farah, he's still like Babs Kirby had mentioned at one point that um, when it comes to Aquarius, it can kind of produce a Gandalf, you know, especially emotionally, it can produce a Gandalf type of figure where they're very informative. They admire their subjects, but they can be rather kind of distant in that person's life. They're kind of like the mentor um, as opposed to the full lover. And that's what I'm seeing with Rasand. That's what I feel like kind of alludes to his complexity is that, you know, he's part of Feyre's life. He grows concerned about her having like this um, Midgard worm bone stuck out of her arm, first and foremost. He also grows concerned about her with Fire Knight. You know, instead of just, you know, torturing her, he actually um, asks her, it's like, hey, are you supposed to be here? You're immortal. You know, you could be exposed to a ton of dangers. Are you sure that you should be here? And, you know, tries to help her out in finding, you know, she lies and states that she, you know, she's finding her party, but he help, he legitimately, legitimately tries to help her out. Um, also, what I'm hoping for in a court of mist and fury is that he might um, be there to just really help Feyre out more ways than one, not just being the sexy, you know, second lover to Feyre but also maybe being that mentor or that person who kind of helps her out in a time of need as well. Venus, again, I'm saying Aquarius um, because of that distance with from Feyre. He's not one to show over emotion. He kind of keeps it cool 
And yet he's between his Venus and Moon's positions. I kind of feel like he's his own independent character, even though he kind of makes some questionable decisions in a core thorn and roses. He, you know, kind of still, still um, calculates how to overthrow those decisions. And he still kind of calculates how to still just be his own person, his own character, his own individual. But especially in romantic relationships, he seems to be rather like he distances himself a lot. That could be due to early childhood as well, too, um, particularly his relationship with his mom. Not much is known about that in A Court of Thorns and Roses, but it was probably strained just a little bit. And Mars, again, I say Scorpio, possibly um, close to Sun's position, mainly because, again, he's very um, sexual. You know, I just, I'm considering the sexual part um, aspect of Mars. And um, he doesn't seem as impulsive as Mars people tend to be. He seems a little more calculating and more of like the brain. He seems to think between Feyre and Tamlin. He's the one who kind of seems to just think about things in relationships, which I kind of like. But I kind of see that he simmers with sexuality, with that sexual energy, um, as Scorpios tend to as well. Another aspect that we can admire um, within Scorpio as well. All right, last but not least, Amarantha. Now, I considered Amarantha because she does have a very complex um, history with Tamlin. Um, she actually seems to love Tamlin, but there are some lessons with her as well when it comes to love. I would say Sun, definitely Scorpio. Um, however, more the shadow side of Scorpio. So again, Scorpios, where they're admirable traits like with Rasand, where they, they blow the lid off of bullshit and they make sure that they're being very truthful and they're trying to get down to the heart and the nitty gritty of the matter to help everybody heal. Well, that can be a very admirable trait or while they can see things that others don't is also another admirable trait and that they can be very loyal and supportive to those with whom they love. The negative side, if a lot of Scorpios tend to act more on the scorpion and less on the eagle, uh, which is also their totem animal. When they're in the scorpion phase, um, they're definitely, they can not only be very sexual and very possessive, but also like with Amaranth, that they can be rather macabre. And for me, the macabre tastes having Jurian's eye in a glass ring having Jurian's bone hang off, an, you know, off a um, chain with her necklace, you know, keeping um, those with whom she's conquered and those with whom she's slain, you know, like pinned up on her wall and, you know, doing some really macabre stuff of that nature, you know, like really having destruction and death around her at all times possible. Also, you know, the fact that she's, you know, again, um, another shadow side with Scorpio. She's just hell bent on revenge for good reason. I mean, her sister died carelessly at the hands of a human. And that really ripped her apart so much that she became embittered and became who she is, um, which kind of lends like a human explanation, human quality to her. 
But uh, yeah, hell bent on revenge and just hell bent on just wanting things her way. You know, so definitely the very possessive side of Scorpio. Um, I also said possibly Mercury was, would probably be her near her sun sign because she's also, as we see in A Court of Thorns and Roses, she's very verbal about everything that goes through her mind. Um, you know, particularly in the games or particularly in the trials with Feyre, she's very um, verbal and vo vocalizes everything with her. I have to say I somewhat can see where Amaranth is coming from with just the extremes um, due to the fact that I have Pluto conjunct my moon. And, you know, when I went through very hard times myself, there were times where I became rather embittered and kind of, you know, dark myself, um, not to the point of Amarantha, but, you know, kind of in there. The one thing that I could say where Amarantha could heal herself in a court of thorn and, thorns and roses you know, we all endure wins. We all endure losses. But I think it's how we handle those losses that really kind of um, determines where we stand. With Amarantha, instead of just being hell-bent on revenge, you know, kind of putting Jurian's eye in a ring and stuff like that, um, I think instead where she could grow a little healthier would be um, to just maybe just slaughter Jurian, you know, for what he did to her sister and just leave it at that. It's like, yeah, I slaughtered him. That's enough. Leave it at that and not have the macabre around her. I also think that with Tamlin, she's a little possessive in the regard, not only with the curse, but also, um, you know, just kind of like wanting to take control over him at all times. Sometimes, um, I think with Amarantha, she kind of points out that when we truly love somebody, and Tamlin too, when we truly love somebody, we have to just let them go. We have to let them just be their own individuals. And, um, you know, the more that we do that, the more that we show that love, and the more that we can feel better about that at the end of the day, as opposed to having someone resent us because we're being overly controlling and possessive of that person. Um, Moon, I thought was also in Gemini again. Um, you know, like I meant, I saw like the fake buddy buddy relationship. Um, again, it's a shadow side of Gemini where, you know, she's very communicative, but she's also trying to fake being a buddy to Feyre a lot of the time when really she's plotting her death as much as possible in her court. Venus, I also said in Scorpio and Mars in Scorpio the possessiveness going so far as to even put like Tamlin under a spell or, you know, kind of make it seem like she put Tamlin under a spell. A lot of the time when Feyre was fighting for him in her court, um, you know, just like kind of just being really super possessive over him and controlling his actions, controlling where he is controlling everything, um, you know, in a way with Tamlin, I would have expected that he would have learned from being in the prison of Amarantha, um, that he would have learned to not be as possessive and prison-like uh, with Thera, um, especially when it came to A Court of Mist and Fury and also at the end of A Court of Thorns and Roses. But I think, again, with Tamlin, it's a matter of, I think he just needs to learn a little bit more. 
in different ways. I also just feel like with Amarantha, her lesson again, if you look, and again, I feel like it's Tamlin's lesson too. They're all both intertwined. To truly love somebody, even if you don't agree with that person's decision, is to truly let them live and truly let them go. Let them go, let them live, let them be. You know, that's, I think that's just the overall overarching theme there that I kind of see on the individual level. Well, Stargazers, this concludes part one of A Court of Thorns and Roses, Sinistry Astrologized. I would so love to hear from you. How are you liking this so, so far? Does this seem to make sense? You can leave comments at the bottom of this podcast. You can also reach out to me either at mysic.sandra at gmail.com. Mysic is spelled M-I-S-E-K. You can also um, leave your comments on Instagram, my Instagram page, at sandra.mysic. That, again, that's M-I-S-E-K. And I would love to hear from you. Like, if, if it's like, yeah, thumbs up. This this sounds really great. Or, you know, I really disagree. Agreements or disagreements, I'm, I'm going to welcome because I really... I really would love to love to see like what you guys think. But above all, stargazers, don't be afraid to take a look up at the stars. Right now, the moon is half full. It's really gorgeous, really beautiful. But also, we are taking a look with that little pause up at the origins of astrology, um, which all started as constellations in that sky. But above all, stargazers, between now and next week, First off, happy Thanksgiving, and I do hope that your Thanksgiving is safe and leaves you nice and full and very well, and above all, very safe. And between now and next week, Stargazers, you can also become a Patreon to this podcast. Visit patreon.com forward slash 7th house astrology for more details.